Tape Cards, your ultimate destinations for all things tabletop in Riverton, Utah. Uniting enthusiasts under one roof, we proudly showcase Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Magic, Weiss, and One Piece, a gateway into an exhilarating universe of gaming. Immerse yourselves in our diverse products, including a very squishy array of Japanese plushies and the excitement of Gashapon machines. Our expansive play area invites you to duel in epic battles and forge unbreakable bonds with your fellow players. We open our doors every day at noon, embracing a realm where cards come alive and unforgettable moments are afforded. Come join us at Kayfabe Cards. I am back from Barcelona, and I wanted to just give you a little bit of... Uh... Uh, hello before I publish this episode and to give you some context about what this episode is essentially um, we were in Barcelona and there was meant to be a ISP live there was supposed to be an episode that was going to be recorded live which was meant to be a question and answer period for some of the people out in the audience um, now the issue with that was that there was um, no audio available to sort of broadcast the um, on-site so there was no uh, there was a situation where essentially the microphone and the speaker system which I had no agency over it wasn't my equipment I was not the person to deal with uh, there was issues with that that I, it could not get done so the on-site Q&A did not happen. I had James White, I had Brian Gottlieb, I had Chris Gehring ready to go to answer your questions and to have a conversation, which I was then going to uh, record, publish, and do that. But the benefit of it was meant to be that the people on site would have access to these game developers, James, Brian, and Chris, to ask them questions. So that didn't happen. I had to kind of scramble a little bit to figure things out. And ultimately what we did was we just recorded on site on the stage that we were meant to, to do this live with. And um, I pieced together what I could uh, hope is some insight based on some of the concerns that I would figure the community would have. Things like fatigue, um, the impact of s sets like Dust Till Dawn, Bright Lights, Moving Forward, the, the design space and etc etc so here is that conversation the audio might not be the best because it was a little bit of an improv draw improv draw uh, situation a little bit of a you know cobbled together tony stark style into cave of the box of scraps the conversation was awesome here it is friends thank you so much and i do also want to remind you that the speedy awards the Speedy Awards, there's going to be a link in this video uh, in the comments uh, or in the description. If you want to go ahead and vote for your favorite cosplayer, your favorite podcast, your favorite community member, the player of the year, there are prizes that LSS has generously offered me to give to the people that you vote as champions of this. The voting ends on December 1st, so in about a week. So please go ahead. Go and vote. It is great. This is all community-driven. I just take the votes, I, tab, I tally them up, and I announce the winners. We're going to be doing this in the middle of December. Myself, Tommy Fresh, is going to join me. We're going to have some fun, and we're going to award some cool stuff to some cool people. Here it is, the conversation with James White, creator of Flesh and Blood, senior game developer and card designer Brian Gottlieb, as well as developer Chris Gehring. Live at the time from Barcelona. All right, very special Instant Speed podcast. I've got three, I don't know what else to call you guys other than like the heart and soul of the development team here. 
who's who's really in charge? Let's just be real. Like James, <laughs> is it you or is there like are you pulling all the strings? Are you what's the story here? It depends of uh, what what topic or subject you <laughs> you want to you want to refer to. Like these guys are definitely in charge of some stuff. I'm in charge of other other stuff as well. But okay, we all sort of uh, wear wear our own hats. Yeah. Delegated responsibility. Yeah, yeah, that's Sticks that's a good round. We play to our strengths. No, that, yeah. that's fair. Like the way that I would have said it, James, is honestly, if it works, if it's successful, that's that's yeah. you. But you are absolutely right. This is the senior uh, leadership team of the the or the product department essentially at Legend Story Studios. So. Uh, you know, each set starts with a design vision and that, you know, typically comes from myself and, you know, Brian assists assist me with that, uh, particularly during the refinement part of the uh, of that initial design build-up. And then it passes over to Chris's team. Chris is uh, uh, our long-standing lead, lead developer and he runs the team, which is, uh, I think we're at like 12, 12 devs, eh? Yeah, yeah. when Brian's in the office. About to yeah, 12 there. devs. So Chris runs that team and he has done for... Uh, for many years now, and then Brian is kind of like the bridge between design and, and dev. So Brian sort of like straddles both parts of it and assists Chris in the with the uh, management of the development pipeline, but also uh, plugs back in to myself on the design side because it's it's a, it's a very like uh, like it's not just design finishes and then it passes over to dev and then that, that's it see you later it's a very ongoing process yeah. circular is how it is. Yeah. things often work through yeah. uh like a, like a wraparound type structure well chris gehring is somebody who maybe a lot of people are not familiar with because everybody knows james obviously brian you've You've made such friends on Twitter. <laughs> I try and get him to tweet more. I promise you, if he tweeted more, he'd be more infamous than I am. Really? He's smart and he's quiet. Incognito mode. Yeah, that's a smart move. I mean, Brian's he's watching though. <laughs> Silent observer, Chris. But like you mentioned, there's like a dozen other people that are part of the development yeah. team. So uh, you can treat this two ways. Number one is you can pass on the praise. Or the second one is you can say there's 12 other people that deserve all your ire out there for all of your criticisms. Ultimately, though, you guys do an excellent job. But I want to ask you some questions. There's something that you guys know about me is that I don't beat around the bush. There's a lot of concerns and stuff that people might have in terms of the 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 format, the meta, the direction of the game. James, you gave an excellent and very inspiring keynote yesterday about the future well, let's talk about the right now and sure. how some of those problems uh, that people might perceive and how you solve them. One of which is meta and fresh metas mm -hmm. and how to keep those fresh and what some might view, for example, you know, as people say, well, Lexi's winning so much. It's a lame duck format. It's a boring format. Mm -hmm. How do you approach that kind of, uh, let's just call it criticism because that's kind of what it is to sure. So I think that it's important to look at um, the time scale here where Lexi started off 2023 as being a very admired and loved hero. And she, you know, uh, upon the release of Outsiders emerged as being the best deck in the format. We saw that approach to a Baltimore. We saw that in the seasons that followed. And, you know, I think that she was a very um, light hero. And that, that's certainly what we saw. Just people get sick of things if it sticks around for too long. And I think that Lexi just uh, outlived her welcome and uh, that's the thing that we needed to address with the change to the living legend where we needed her reign to be shorter than it eventually ended up being right and i think that we all still believe that lexi was an example of what a, a good best deck looks like in the format she was had, a, had you know the best win spread across the metagame 
but she wasn't winning every tournament. Like she was making a lot of top eights at callings and not winning the tournament. And I think that shows that there were ways to attack the metagame. Uh, Lexi certainly was the hero that had the target on her back, but there were certainly ways for, for high-level players to engage with the format and to succeed in the format and to ultimately beat the Lexis. But people just got fatigued of seeing Lexi sort of like always occupying between sort of two and four uh, top eight slots and, and having to be something that you always had to be prepared for and you always were expecting to play against multiple times throughout the tournament. And yep. that was the fundamental issue that we needed to solve um, was shortening that lifespan of a deck being at the top of the metagame. The whole I'm sick of this, like I'm, I'm done with it kind of mentality. I believe that's why the current divorce rate is 50%. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. Ultimately, though, you're right. And like a lot of the times it has nothing to do with balance of a hero and actual power level. It's just the frequency that people yeah. and like to a degree, like Chris and Brian, like when you guys are designing heroes, you understand that you have to make them appealing and therefore to a degree strong. It's a very razor's edge that you have to design on because you don't want to make them weak and unappealing and unplayed therefore there's no reason to even explore the hero and the meta therefore stays the same but how do you approach the thought process of like it's it's got to be good but it also has to be fresh but it also has to be not you know people can't get sick of it like it's such a a, a very nuanced approach like are you ever satisfied when you're creating a hero like what is the point where you're just like this is it. It's going to impact. People are going to like it. They're going to love it. Like, and and th take this the way you will. How do you sleep at night? Like, I don't mean it in that regard, but like when you go to bed and you're like, all right, it is what it is. Let's go for it. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. There's several examples of heroes in our recent history that I think just nailed it. Like absolutely hit that sweet spot where they made their presence in the metagame felt. People were excited to see them. People are still excited to see them. I really, uh, I, I want to point to Outsiders as a set that I think did this extremely well. Something like Azuri has been such a fantastic hero to watch. Now a calling winning hero, uh, but like this slow burn and a few believers here, a few believers there. I really think Katsu did a really nice job after his kind of rejuvenation post Outsiders mm -hmm. and the way he was reintroduced to the meta. Um, and then I can point to Azalea as well. And I think Azalea is in the midst of a, a fine performance here at Worlds, I, either the fifth or sixth most represented deck, yep. which go back a few years and that's laughable. To and who was after that? Example. After Azalea, he's cut in terms of representation. And right. You're right. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough beat. And again, I don't want to take too much of your time. We got a lot to get through here. Next bit here is uh, a buzzword that a lot of people talk about, which is, I mean, I say buzzword, it's a style of play. It's a, what we would call control within the flesh and blood game, fatigue. This has always been a problem and it's sort of re-arisen in the Bright Lights Limited format that this was the way to play it, which kind of put a sour taste in people's mouths because when the way to succeed in a format is to essentially I don't say not play, but outlast your opponent through just existing longer than they are. That has to be something that you guys are cognizant of and aware of that is harmful to the enjoyment experience. How do you approach fatigue as a viable strategy, but a healthy strategy? I think this is a great question for you. First of all, well, fatigue has always been in the game and we don't always see it as a problem rather than a feature of the game. Um, 
like there's there's certain points where things go too far and it's a very fine line where you want certain heroes to function in a way where they do win by fatigue but not just dominate by fatigue and if you if you look at bright lights the the consensus was yes Tiklo Boston is the best deck and it's by fatigue and you just draft your three blocks but the more and more you draft the more depth you see in items the dash uh the dash strategies and the mech strategies where instead of just playing your cards out you do it turn by turn uh, you don't play turn by turn you play like every other turn and set up big ways to push past and it's not as simple as just throwing everything at the wall and just trying to push through a uh, Tiklo Boston and the fine lines are if we make uh, make Tiklo Boston too good obviously he just beats everything by fatigue but if we just take too much away he's just never going to win and the max decks and the dash decks are always going to push through him and like we, we, we see that as a feature rather than a flaw a lot of the time but it takes a lot of like play so I, I guess when people play straight away and that's the first assumption that can be like tricky but it's, there are layers to it and like we don't always see it as a bad thing well i've always felt for example there that you've addressed fatigue to a degree with heroes like arachne and any kind of mill strategy against like the the the, the dominant strategy and winning uh, approach to playing fatigue is I'm just going to have more cards than you at the end of the game. I'm going to lean on my weapon and efficient, you know, card economy to win. I feel like Arachne is the, the solution to that. I just feel that fatigue always is coupled with this mindset of a steadfast defense. A, a my cards are just going to efficiently match up pound for pound with yours. Has, was Arachne, if this is your baby, uh, you know, was Arachne almost designed as an antidote to fatigue to a degree? I, I wouldn't say it was pointed directly towards that issue, but uh, also you have to understand that I, I don't blanket perceive it as an issue. Like, I think the fatigue aspect of flesh and blood adds so much to gameplay and it adds another axis you have to consider. You have to manage not only your life total, not only your opponent's life total, but you have to manage your resources and cards in deck and it very much embodies the flavor of this knockdown drag out fight that's going to take every ounce of your being to complete to actually finish your opponent that's the flesh and blood progression you know you start with all your equipment and you start with all your cards in deck and things get weaker as the game goes on and i think fatigue very much represents that uh in a, a very beautiful flavorfully mechanic way i think where the issues show up is that it is a very hard skill check. You have to recognize that fatigue is an axie that you are playing the game on. And it especially manifests in bright lights. Like, you know, Chris, you're mentioning the adaptable strategies of Max, of Dash. There were so many times in testing where to find the winning line with Max, I realized I needed to not boost on this turn. I need to not play a card on this turn. I needed to play towards a larger turn in the future. And that's very much inherent in the dash kit too. Dash uh, very much pitch stacking those items early, setting up those big overpowered boom grenades in the late game. It's critical. You have to engage with the format like that from the first turn of the game. You have to be thinking about these things. I think that's really strategically interesting. I think uh, a lot of our players find that really strategically interesting. It's just when that gets kind of obscured a little bit and you have to dig a little bit under the surface, yeah. it's it's hard for players to find that inroad sometimes, particularly our newer players. And oh. I, I think we always have to be conscious of just giving them safe inroads to power through, to push that damage and to do exciting stuff. Dude, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Every game I've ever played, I've been playing card games for 25 years, same with all of you. I've been playing for years and years and years. And I, 
there's a certain level of satisfaction when you see your opponent draw their last card and you, you're like kind of like a, you did your best kid, but like, I got you, man. But the other question here is the discussion, uh, James, about having potentially having deck limits. And we have the deck limit, but you can show up between 60 and however many cards, but with a minimum 60. Have you ever thought about an actual cap of 60? Um, we are looking at these sorts of things all the time in the dev process, and uh, there will be some limited formats coming out that have hard uh, deck size caps on them, so you can look forward to that. One of the beautiful things about Flesh and Blood is that we are always trying to offer new puzzles to our fans, right? And, you know, that goes right down to how we engineer the products. You can see with Bright Lights, it was a very innovative approach for Flesh and Blood towards the actual product engineering with a single class. So a completely new experience you didn't have in any of our previous products. Similar sort of things can happen through, uh, you know, things like hard caps on the deck size. And you can expect to see that in some of the upcoming sets. Beautiful. So the other question is, is again, you guys are mentioning bright lights and strategies regarding it. Is that we just came off of uh, bright lights is in full swing, and I mean, as we're recording this, they just wrapped up a round three where Techno Boston was undefeated. It's yeah. a great thing to see. Yeah. Um, there's this. We can call it a fallacy that sets like dusk till dawn and bright lights were on like no impact on the meta. I don't buy that. Uh, I understand that because you look at the top three decks that are represented, four, five, even six decks that are represented here in the field. It's Icelander, it's Dromai, it's Bravo, on and on and on. How do you respond to, to that sentiment that people look at Dust Till Dawn said, there was nothing for me, not interested. Bright Lights, not my kind of thing. You know, is it something you guys are aware of and are adjusting, or do you just not buy into the fact that these are non-impactful sets? So I think there's two points on that. The first is um, Dust or Dawn honestly just fell a bit flat, you know, against our expectations, to be honest. Um, uh, we thought that Prism would be a lot more impactful on the, the tournament scene than she was. Uh, I do have very uh, high hopes for her in the, the coming seasons. And, uh, you know, she's uh, a hero that is um, not complete yet. So uh, for all the Prism fans out there, you know, stay stay hopeful, stay positive uh, on Prism getting good uh, in the future. And, uh, I mean, all people who, who have listened to my interviews in the past know how near and dear Prism is uh, uh, to my heart. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do good by Prism. You can uh, count on that. But uh, oh, to be frank, Dustle Dawn did fall flat um, and, and blow expectations. On the flip side, though, I think that Bright Lights was uh, judged too quickly by the community, uh, if I'm being honest about it. And we saw it with uh, the Falling Melbourne a couple of weeks ago with uh, Thomas uh, Thomas Downing, uh, nearly nearly completing the flawless victory, 14-0 all the way to the final, the final match of the Falling Melbourne and uh, just falling short at the post. What hero but won that one? Azuri. Azuri. But, you know, Dash, Io, in, in the hands of Thomas, um, going 14-0. And, and look, that was a tough tournament. He beat players such as Michael Fung, Pro Tour champion. Um, he beat uh, Butcher, yeah? Nick Butcher? I'm not sure. Well, Nick Butcher was certainly in that tournament on the top tables, right. number one ranked ELO player in the world. Um, so, look, there were a lot of very, very 
that Brody Spurlock was in that scored him as, as well. You know, number one ranked uh, XP for the Americas. So there are Brody's playing Dash IO today. And, and Brody is playing Dash IO today. So look, I, I just I feel like the community was very quick to judge Bright Lights in terms of how how potent it was. And on the flip side, though, it is a very complex set. If we if we think about the complexity scale, Bright Lights really sits at, at the top of the complexity. And uh, you you can expect heavy hitters and other sets that are coming uh, through the pipeline in 2004 to be quite a few notches below the complexity of, of Bright Lights. So we had to be a little bit fair to the community as well. Of like We did present them with a very challenging puzzle with bright lights and we're starting to see you know obviously dash io really emerging as being a, a very serious competitor in this uh, new metagame and we're seeing tech lovosin 3-0 at the world championship winning that last feature match uh you know some big names sleeved up uh max max nitro we had uh, matthew rogers um we had chris aelli finalist from world championship 2022 playing max nitro uh at the tournament today so there's some big believers in these bright lights heroes um to your point of some people saying maybe this set is not for me i would like to point towards the expansion slot because there is something for you in these products and we were very deliberate about that because sure we made a set with only one class on it of course not everybody likes mechanologist and that's okay but we do have the expansion slot introducing you know new content for people who like a range of different classes or heroes and um yeah there were some duds in the expansion slot of bright light but there's also some bangers in there as well and as we move forward with heavy hitters and and further into 2024 i think we're really juicing up the expansion slot even further yeah so this is okay real quick here the expansion slot is something that's here to stay absolutely yeah this is something i i still refer to it as the carnival slot <laughs> i just think it's funnier and it's awesome it's better yeah yeah, yeah, but yeah. you specifically so i like to pick on you that's just the way it's we fair. are it's uh fair. you mentioned that in uh dust till dawn testing etc that prism was gonna just blow people away like this was a hero which it hasn't yet yep. um in terms of when you rate a hero by success because you mentioned by all you know by your own admission and your own evaluation that dust till dawn was not a success that you wanted it to be yeah are you how do you evaluate that success is it commercial is it the the reception of it the, the you know how people like it and in the in the when you mentioned that bright lights you said i don't think people gave it a shot i agree because people just see that it's not a class that i like therefore i don't like this set that i feel is an unfair unfair evaluation but when it comes to dust till dawn there was stuff for everybody and you you said that it didn't quite hit the mark what are the metrics you're looking at what are those kinds of criteria yeah, I, I mean, I can speak specifically to Prism and kind of the sentiment that would be really strong. And uh, to be frank, there was a bit of a flaw in our development process. And we've since addressed that flaw. And I don't, I don't mind talking about kind of what it was. We were very much looking at these decks across broad matchup spreads and thinking about how does the overall matchup spread work? And Prism has a lot of really good matchups really, really strong matchups. And to be fair, they require a great degree of technical play. She's probably the hardest hero to play we've ever released. And some of that gets obscured in our internal testing because we have such talented players. Chris was killing everyone with Prism in testing <laughs> just all the time. Yeah, Absolutely unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and the, the issue was we didn't put enough stock in the fact 
that Prism has an absolutely miserable matchup in the metagame. And that's Dromai. And we were aware of that. We knew that matchup was very tough. Uh, but you just go, well, you know, that's a bad matchup. Yeah. Every hero has bad matchups. That's totally reasonable. Dromai has been such a fixture in the metagame that it actually makes it so it's not worth it to put in the type of energy, the type of reps you need to become a competent Prism player against the broader metagame, because you're going to get destroyed by that one bad matchup. And you know that. So why would you invest the time to totally figure out that other portion of the metagame? And, and this realization has changed so much about the way we structure our heroes, about the tools we give our heroes. And I, I think for the better, and I, I am disappointed in how Prism fell. I agree with James, Prism is going to have her moment in the sun that is an inherently powerful special hero. We don't assign a hero 32 life thinking that this hero doesn't have the potential to be absolutely pushed to the moon. And I, I'll tell you, I was terrified releasing Prism. Like, I was very afraid. Of that, apprehension. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, a lot of strength life. around that hero. Like, if th seeing 32 life, it's like everyone saw the smoke, but no one saw the fire yeah. with it. And, but Chris, like, what's this, like, secret recipe, dude? Because he was telling, and like, there are, everybody's like, well, it's just, it's like, it's not like it's Michael Hamilton or Brody Spurlock or Pablo Pintor there testing. There's some pretty, pardon my language, fucking good players that play on the testing team and within your crew. And when you're out there dummying people with Prism, it's not like you're just dunking on some randos. It's good players. Yeah. And they're calling champions like Jacob Pearson and so, Jason Chung, who's just like a fantastic player in his own right. So, so I'm going to ask you, one quick thing. What what are you doing with Prism that everybody is missing? And are is it not for you to say? It's I, I can't really even explain it to be honest. I like I just see the hero a bit differently, I think, than anyone else in the dev room. They all have their own takes and I, I play matchups in ways that they don't expect. Um like I if I gave the Prism deck to any other dev member, they would not play it similar to me. And I'm not sure what it is specifically, sure. but I just tended to have a very, very good win rate with the hero. Dromai was obviously terrible, but against everything else, she she was good. And I, I think one of the issues with Prism is, like, face up, she's just hard to play. Like, someone can't just pick the cards up and make them work. And that's one of the real problems with Prism, because that removes anyone even wanting to try it from the beginning. Um, when you make heroes complicated, and there's already really powerful heroes like Lexi in the metagame, why, why even just try with something so hard? Um, but I... I don't know. I just, I think I just see things differently while playing the game, specifically with that hero. And I worked a lot on the original Prism, so I just, I don't know, I have an affinity for the hero in general. It's, um, it, it takes a specific, see, like, coding in your DNA yeah, to, to I, play that way. I, I haven't had to just, like, break down exactly what I do in each matchup in, in a yeah. dev room. Um, uh, so it's like I don't think in that term. I just sit down in the game, try and figure out my strategy in each matchup, and I stick to that strategy. And normally it works. I think that is the key. I think that when you're looking at, well, not just prison, but the game in general, you're not really thinking about turn to turn. You're thinking about what is my strategy and my plan for this matchup. Yeah. Just simple things like some matchups, you don't flip a single angel. And then on the last, the, the, the end game, then you flip two per turn, each turn cycle. Certain decks like Guardians and, or even Azuris that have daggers, they just can't deal with it. Once you start just putting the pressure on, once the game's gone through 40 turns or whatever it is, then you start playing the game. Ah. And it's 40 turns when everybody wants to hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but games take a long time when you want to play them well. So yeah. Yeah. winning is uh, is a, is a, is part patience as well. Yeah. And that's part of the win condition. This guy is very patient with his figments. 
you gotta you gotta build your board in some matchups, yep. eh, before you start flipping them. Yeah. There's games where you're on five life and they're still on thirty-five. Yeah, and you're like I just I got this. I got this. You always feel like you're losing. You always feel like you're losing with Prism until you win, and that's just how it always happens. I played Prism in the Starvo meta. I know all about about, about spectacular comebacks and such. So I know that I live on that edge as well. Uh, we got about ten minutes left at most here. Uh, one of the things I just wanted to mention, just to close up that point, was that there's there's uh, there's so much uh, there's there's a, a loud vocal. It's it's the internet. It's 2023. You're gonna hear everything coming back. One thing that LSS has done very well is admit when you're wrong. And one of the tough things that you'll never get coming back is you will get dunked on hard all the time. But when somebody makes uh, an assessment of something and it's wrong, they're not on the hook for anything. They can walk away from it and will never it must, cause must be nice. It, it must be nice. nice. You're right. One of the things that you guys do is when you guys make a mistake, there's that that screenshot of we made a mistake, the dust plate thing, right? That seems to be something that you guys hold fast to. And I'm going to take this opportunity to say, if you're listening to this out there and you've made a shitty take and you're wrong, just own it. It's not a big deal because they do. So should you. And they have so much more at stake than you and your 17 followers on Twitter. That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. Appreciate it. Oh, no, dude, yeah. trust me. Uh, I'm, the last point I want to get to is Fab 2.0. You came on the Instant Speed podcast what seems like ages ago. We didn't have gray hair back then. We were about 10 pounds lighter. I was, you know, I was, uh, I was a, a, a younger, muscular man back then. Fab 2.0 was something that you kind of threw out there as a re-envisionment of, of what the game is, of how you want to approach it. Where are you with Fab 2.0? What, what is the next phase and what, what kind of mistakes or, or things you, you know, that you're, where you're beyond that you've learned from? So like the, the, the big one is uh, ease of access to action points or go again on sip sips, which are, uh, start and play, stay and play permanent. So particularly hero cards and weapons are the, are the primary culprit of, uh, you know, past, uh, you know, you can call them mistakes or whatever, or maybe just design development push too far. Um, so, you know, examples of that would be Luminaris, you know, uh, uh, start and play, stay and play weapon that just gives your whole team unbridled go again, or, you know, Briar with her ability to just keep creating the embodiment of lightnings, which is, you know, it's just very low hanging, easy to access, um, you know, action points through the embodiments or even Starbo as an example, you know, you, you reveal the, uh, the full house and you get, you know, the go again for freebies, you know, like it's just the, the access to go again is just too free. And Voltaire is the most recent example, um, you know, of, or it came into its its own recently, you know, which is just, is the, the action points are too easy to access, they're too free. So the big transition from Fab version one to, to 2.0 is really just the, the action point economy, making, making players work a bit harder, invest more, like invest an actual card or some resources into generating action points or go again. So are we... Beyond that, because like you mentioned, a lot of those heroes now are retired. Uh, they're yeah. living legend. Yeah, or Chain's another example as well, yeah. Yeah, well, Chain, Starvo, a lot of that, that go-again aspect and such that are, you said, easy to generate, reliable to achieve, but some of them still exist. Some of those heroes that are still on that power level, 
still kind of hovering about what can we once they are have ascended is this is some might say well it's it's just a, we take the power knob and dial it down a few notches but it's the same it's the same game it's the same experience but but is it what's going to be fab 3.0 let's say or beyond the 2.0 once we're really nestled into this and the the culprits of fab 1.0 1.5 even are in the rear view well i think that we're very close to uh, achieving that actually like in my view icelander is probably the one remaining hero who is um in breach of our, our visions of fab 2.0 her hero ability is essentially giving you access to to free action points by being able to play that card on your opponent's turn as though it were an instant you're essentially getting an extra action point per turn cycle so i think i mean would you guys agree is icelander in your view the last dromai dromai dude the, the, the thing i see that's a little bit different about dromai though is like your opponents actually have agency to interact with your ability to give your team go again right yeah with the phantasm so dromai is like kind of on that cusp where like you look at you look at her, her ability and it's like it screams at you in the face of like that's a fab 1.0, you know, design profile. But I think for and, and like there's some there's some merit to that argument as well. But I, I would kind of like counterbalance that against the opponent has agency to break that up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I think you're you're exactly right. We're coming to the cusp of just a realized fab 2.0. But I actually think the first fab 3.0 hero already exists when you drill down into it. And I think it's Dash IO. I think Dash IO is saying it's not about heroes will never have access to yeah. like just multitudinous action points again. It's about you're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to do it in yeah. a different way. You're going to have to do it in a unique way. And I think Dash IO is such a successful hero on that yeah. axis of just getting back to that. You feel some of that chain power at moments, yeah. but you got to do the work. You have to set up your deck. You have to compromise your deck building to go ahead and get access to that. And I think it's really, really exciting as an example of where we can go in the future to restore some of that Fab 1.0 feel in a much more sustainable, fair way. I've always thought that there's one of the like there's the the method of playing fab where it's just like there's like the bravo big block i'm gonna throw big attacks i'm gonna reinar you i'm gonna levia you etc we're gonna have some payoff there's the go again go wide and we've had some very you know uh big time culprits of, of really uh exploiting that but to me there was another layer which is the the instant speed layer the kano level the now the dash io level and i feel like that is an extra layer that has risen the bar in terms of the same same way that Kano has an incredibly high skill floor, it has an even higher skill ceiling. Dash IO feels like that's the way that there are heroes that on the surface look rather gimmicky, but like you said, going 14 and 0 and falling just a, a, a shade short not too long ago is that is instant speed. And I'm not saying this because this is the name of the podcast. Instant speed like subscribe yes <laughs> right now right now and tell your friend to as well instant, instant speed that, that's the next level i james i don't have any money but you know, I'm only, that's you gotta it. get the plug in there uh, yeah it's the best but i feel like playing at instant speed has always been uh, a matter of well the decision isn't clear cut when you're playing a yeah. hero i attack on my action face now it's like well, when's the right time to play an Art of War? A lot of players don't know how to just do that one card at the right time. And it's not just about, well, I'm going to do it when I and I pump this attack, I draw two cards. It's a very easy way. But like, 
at what phase, at what little margin, what little crack in the window do I sneak this through? What is, is instant speed something you guys are going to be exploring a lot more? Yep. <laughs> Say it louder. Say it louder for those in the back. Explore. I think it's, it's an important part of the game. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like a core part of the game, and it's proven to be a very fruitful part of the game with something like Dash.io, and it will not be the last you see of that design space. For sure. You even see it on... Um, Tickler Boston as well, you know, yeah. in, in appropriate places. Yeah. And uh, maybe one other thing just about action point economy is not that we don't want action points to be fr freely flowing at all in a game. They just need to be in the right places. So, for example, Ninja. Ninja is the class that intrinsically should be mas masters of go again, right? And that isn't going to change. You're not going to, like, see that just change overnight. Um, but it just, yeah, there has to be um, uh, more ask of the player in the broader sense to, to generate go again and action points. Um, but yeah. Well, yeah, it's like the reason why Bravo players run Zealous Belting, it's a very conditional go again. And the card on its own really doesn't fit in any decks. But there it is. It's like, you want it? Yeah. This is what you're going to have to do. Yeah. It's a red two block. Deal with it. And yep. like you said, uh, we've literally got about a minute or so left. I just want to thank you gentlemen again for your time. And just again for for your your candor in this, because there's a lot of people who always have questions, and they are always immensely grateful for how you approach, which are honestly difficult subjects because it's very easy for you guys to just sweep it under the rug and move on to the next thing. There's a lot of other companies and stuff that do that. It's just well, it's that's yesterday's news, but you guys want to learn from it, and you guys are very in touch with the community of what that is. And there's a very famous saying from another card developer, which is you should always listen to the problems of the community, but be selective with the solutions they propose. <laughs> and I think that that's important yeah. because not everybody, just because you're the loudest, that doesn't mean you're the, the most right. And uh, I, 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 I disagree. <laughs> well, clearly you're right. It's, uh, it's, uh, I can't uh, yell louder than that until I edit that part out. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I would say to the community that, um, you know, we are, like you say, very in touch with um, the voices out there and people's feelings and views and sentiment. And we appreciate that. We take, we take that from a point of like, people are expressing it because they're passionate and yep. they care about the game. Yeah. We want all of the fans to know that we deeply love and care about this game. We live and breathe it every single day and we want it to be the, the best game that it possibly can. And we work incredibly hard and we've got some really smart people on the product team uh, to, to, to try and create the greatest game that, that, the world has so uh you know just keep telling us what you're feeling that's all good but you know be respectful be polite you know it, it does go a long way it, it does you can say it what you feel in a polite way and we will also uh, acknowledge and respond to that but if you don't do it in a polite way i will come for you i'm letting brad loose on you yeah brian is a banshee on twitter sometimes uh, Kind of gets the uh, he knows when James is sleeping, so he does yeah. when he comes Uh, gentlemen, Chris Gehring, James White, and my number one fan, Brian Godley. Uh, thank you for doing thank this, you, gentlemen. And uh, anything else you want to sort of throw out there before we, we call it? Bolton 3 0 in the feature match area this round, just so you know. So we went from 2 0 Tecla Boston, we went to 3 0 to 3 0 Bolton. Yeah, but the battle, the meta stale, Brian. That's what they're saying. Not not after Worlds. I think there's exciting stuff going on in the room. I'm really, really pleased with what our players brought. Uh, it's going to be cool to see it unpacked. I love it. Again, this is uh, Flake coming in. Instant Speed Podcast live at the, the uh, World Championships in Barcelona. So, friends, don't forget, 
You're not losing if you're learning. See you next time on Instant Speed. Catch you later. Goodbye. Well, I